Lord, I thank you for this time together with people that we love because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are uniting us together in your love. And we will be together for all eternity, unpacking the riches of Christ Jesus. And Jesus, we honor you, and we invite your spirit to work in us, including correcting us where we need corrected. And we certainly need comforted and guided, Lord. And so we enjoy opening up your word, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start with a question. Uh, this is for your own mind and heart. And it, the question is this, how important to you is the local church? How important is church to you? And one way to answer that question is to ask how much real estate does the local church occupy in my life? How much of my thinking goes to the church, its beauty, its mission, its, its unity? How much of my time and my energy and my money go to supporting the local church? How much real estate does the church have? And so that's, that's a question for you to grapple with. But here's what I can tell you, because this is true. I know this is true of all of us. No matter where, how we answer that question, God wants his church to be even more important to us. Uh, there's always a challenge for us to uh, see more clearly the significance of the local church and to be even more involved. We're studying Ephesians this summer, and we are today in Ephesians chapter 3, the first 13 verses, so open your Bibles if you would. Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 13, and uh, in, in, in our text today, the Apostle Paul says this about the church. He says in verse 10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. The manifold wisdom of God. There's something about the church that is unique among all institutions on earth. The church displays the wisdom of God to the world. And we're going to talk about why that is. And, and Paul is really impressed with um, God's vision for the church, uh, the, the role that the church plays in God's eternal plan. And, and I, I think we can't help but get into this text and, and walk away saying the church matters to God, it matters in this world, and it should matter to me. Well, last week, last week we looked at this glorious truth that God has in Christ Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, that he is creating a one new man in Christ Jesus. All who have uh, been united with Christ by faith are united with each other, and we become brother and sister, and we begin to care about each other. And we, we talked about that unity of the church, which can shine so brightly 
uh, in our world that is characterized by disunity and by conflict. Well, in our text today, Paul continues with that idea. In fact, he, he summarizes it in verse 6. He says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, last week we, we saw that he said, uh, you guys are you know, Gentile believers and Jewish believers are citizens of the same kingdom, members of the same family, stones in the same temple. And here he, he uh, is still driving at that same basic idea, but he puts a little bit different uh, angle on it. Gentiles, and he means they're Gentile Christians, are fellow heirs with Jewish Christians. So when the Heavenly Father divides the inheritance of the kingdom, uh, all Christians get the same inheritance. There's nothing special reserved for the Jewish believer. Gentile Christians are also members of the same body. That's the body of Christ. And the Bible tells us that no part of the body is less significant. One part of the body can't say to the other part, you're unnecessary. We're all necessary. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian, uh, you are part of the body of Christ, a full member, fully significant. And Gentile Christians are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, all of the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. Nothing God has for you comes to you outside of Jesus. It always comes to us through Christ. It's through our union with Christ by faith that the promises of God begin to cascade into our lives. And those promise, there aren't any promises that um, he has made specially to Jewish Christians. Christians uh, are now grafted in, part of his family, and they are, inherit all of the promises in Christ Jesus. Uh, so he's still, he's still hammering this, uh, this glorious truth that uh, in Christ Jesus we become one new man. Uh, there is a reconciliation that happens between Jew and Gentile. Now, the gospel is the good news that we can be reconciled to our Creator and that we can be reconciled to each other. And I, as evangelical Christians, we do a great job, I think, talking about the importance of, of humans being reconciled to God. And we definitely trumpet that aspect of the gospel, right? Jesus died on the cross, and he paid the penalty for our sin. Our sins could be forgiven. And as a result, we can be in a right relationship with God because uh, the sin barrier has been taken away, has been dealt with. Uh, praise God. That is super important. But there's another reconciliation of the gospel, and that is this reconciliation of human to human, Christian to Christian. Uh, and so no matter where we live, uh, what language we speak, uh, what the color of our skin, it doesn't matter. Is if we are united by faith with Christ Jesus, then we become united to each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul says that he, that he is uh, preaching this whole gospel, that God has given him 
this ministry. So now, let's zoom in on verse 7. Of this gospel, this gospel of reconciliation with God and, and with each other, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. Now, that's interesting. We usually think of grace uh, as the God's grace that comes to us uh, in Christ for salvation. And here he is saying that his ministry is a grace. God has uh, favored him with this calling to um, preach the gospel. To me, by the way, do we appreciate ministry that God has called us to? Do we recognize it is actually it's a great privilege to be on mission with God, a great privilege to be used by Him to do eternally significant things. It's not God has given me this chore, He has given me this grace, His favor in using me. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, that's not false humility, that's the Apostle Paul acutely aware of the fact that he began as a persecutor of the church and many Christians were imprisoned because of him and his hostility to the church, and he even held the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian faith, and he approved of it. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, unmerited favor, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Stop right there. I get to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a statement. That word unsearchable more literally means untrackable. And I think about it this way. Uh, have you ever been bushwhacking in Alaska? You're trying to get from point A to point B. This happens to me on hunts a lot. I want to get up to that ridge but I don't see a trail to get from here to there, so I begin to just bushwhack, which really means the bushes are whacking me more than I'm whacking them, right? And uh, you're going through the alders, and you're thinking, this is a disaster. And then, oh, the glorious moment in which you see a game trail. Animals have carved out a little trail, and, and that trail looks like it's going your direction. You're like, oh, please, let's just go right to where I want to go. And you get on that trail, and you start... Uh, you start tracking on it and praying that it doesn't peter out. Well, when you get on the trail of, dis of unpacking the riches that God has for you in Jesus Christ, you'll never come to the end of it. It's inexhaustible. It's infinite. That's what he's saying. So the Bible is saying, for all eternity, we will be unpacking the riches of Christ Jesus. And, and we'll never get to the bottom of the treasure chest. Wow. We have already begun to unpack Jesus' wisdom, His care, His obedience to the Father, His love, His willingness to forgive, right? His companionship, His, his spirit, His counsel. We've begun to unpack it. And, and as we do, we just are overwhelmed with the beauty of Christ Jesus. You know what? Uh, we'll never get to the end. What a, what a glorious thought. For all eternity, we'll be unpacking 
the infinite wonders of our infinite Savior. So he says, what a, what a privilege, right? This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, and another aspect of his ministry, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. By mystery, he doesn't mean it's a mystery and we can't ever understand it. He means it was hidden until the time of Christ. So God, it was part of his eternal plan. He always intended to save the world through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. He always intended to unite, reunite humanity through their faith in Jesus Christ. But he didn't let anyone know about that until the time of Christ's coming. But now the mystery, that which was hidden, has been revealed. And, and it's the church, actually, that goes about making known the mystery. And so as Paul says... Um, Part of his ministry is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And so what is this mystery? Well, <clears throat> the mystery is that humans can be reconciled to God through faith, not through works, through faith in Jesus, and that as we are united by Christ, with Christ by faith, we become united to each other. And, and it's the mystery that God intended to um, overcome the, the, what sin had destroyed. God is rescuing it in Christ Jesus. Verse 10. So now 10 through 13, we get to the, the discussion of the church and three glorious truths about the church. And the first is this, that the truth displays the wisdom of God, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is wise. God is wise. He is never foolish. He knows exactly what he's doing. In fact, he knew what he was doing before he ever said, let there be light. He had a plan, and he's been executing that plan wisely. The, the wisdom of God is manifold, many faceted, many, there are many sides to it. And I can't, I think about a, a gem that's been cut, uh, many, many different cuts in order to reveal its brilliance. And so you look at that cut gem from different sides, and you see... It's brilliant in many different angles. That's the wisdom of God. It's, there are many sides to, many facets to the wisdom of God. And, and the church reveals the wisdom of God. But you know what? A lot, a lot of humans don't see God's wisdom in the church. And that's because they appraise the church with, with human understanding and with human eyes, and they don't see the spiritual realm and what God is doing spiritually. So that's interesting. It says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to whom? 
to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's the cosmic intelligences who see the spiritual realm that recognize in the church the wisdom of God on display. Even the demonic intelligences, Satan and the demons, they see that the church displays the wisdom of God. They don't like it, but they can see that in the church, God is reversing what they thought that they had damaged beyond repair. Right? And um, Satan thought by getting Adam and Eve to sin and by sowing sin in the world, he thought that he had foiled God's good plans for those people created in his image. And yet in Christ Jesus, God is reversing what has been lost. He's rescuing. He's restoring the damage. And they can't stop it. And the angels see it and they're like, and, and all the cosmic intelligences look at the church and they say, God is absolutely brilliant. Look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. He is restoring, in Christ, he's restoring people's relationship with God by faith. They can't blow it because Christ has done it all for them. All they have to do is have faith and it's secure. They're, it's not at risk. The relationship they have with their creator is not at risk because Christ has done everything. All they have, need is faith. And look, he's restoring the relationship between human and human. In, in Christ Jesus, they are becoming one and they're becoming brother and sister and they're caring for each other and they're praying for each other and they're tolerating each other and, and their, their hearts are being woven together as in, like a family of God. This is brilliant. What a way to pull beauty from ashes. What a way to pull victory from the jaws of defeat. You see that? The church displays the wisdom of God. And no, maybe, maybe the world around us doesn't recognize it. But that's what's really happening. If you see it with spiritual eyes, you recognize the church is the hope of the world. Bill Hybels, like the, uh, I think... Uh, became famous for saying the local church is the hope of the world. He's right. He's absolutely right. And so do we recognize in the church the manifold wisdom of God on display? And you know what? I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that new community, that, that new society that is displaying the wisdom of God. Because, yes, this is true of the church globally, but it is on display most directly in the local church. It's when Christians gather together in a local church and they commit themselves to each other and, and they serve each other and they, and they forgive each other and they, um, they care for each other and they go on mission together and they submit to the, their leaders. And that's, that is where the wisdom of God is on, on display. And you, so, so as a Christian, you want to be a part of one of the, you want to be a part of a local church so that you are one of those people that is putting the wisdom of God on display to be noticed by the cosmic intelligences. Second truth about the church. It is central to God's eternal purposes. Look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal purpose. So he's saying before the foundation of the world, before he said let there be light, God had a purpose. And his purpose in, included the church. And it included the sending of his son Jesus to die and rescue us from sin. God always knew that when he created this world, he knew that Satan would act and that humans would fall. He knew there would be sin. He knew there would be brokenness. But he intended to, he always intended to rescue us in Christ. And, and you know what that does? It all of a sudden, uh, God's original purposes are, are still come to pass, and he's got a people who are fully dependent on him and in love with him and so appreciative of his grace and in relationship with him, in a love relationship with him. An eternal purpose. So the church, the church has always been part of God's plan. And here's another reason this is part of the eternal purpose. What institution on earth will last beyond the grave? When this earth gets burned up and when these heavens get burned up and there's a new heaven and a new earth, what human institution is going to carry over into the new heaven and the new earth? Is it going to be Amazon? Microsoft? Caterpillar? The United States government? Democracy? One institution, and it's, it's the one that God is building, right? What institution is Jesus Christ building? The church. And the church will continue throughout all eternity. That, that, new, that one new man, that new society, the, the Christian community. We, the church will continue for all eternity. There will be the church the elect, the saved, the people of God, the family of God. It, the, the church is, part, it is God's central to God's eternal plan. And so Jesus says, essentially, you know, don't, don't waste your time building your own kingdom that's going to just come to rubble. Invest yourself in the kingdom that's going to last forever. So very practically... Time, money, prayer, energy, thought, ambition that goes to supporting the local church is eternally significant. And I say this, I, I say this to you not because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I concluded that as a young man. And, it, and, and just because you value the local church does not need, need you, mean you need to go into full-time ministry. There have got to be a lot of you in secular ministry making money so you can pay for us pastors, right? But we all need to be on mission, on mission. But as a young man, I mean, the, the bottom line is that I'm thinking to myself, what, is, what seems most significant for me to do in life? And I thought, what is more significant than the church? And I'm a churchman. I love the church. I love the People in process in the church. It's the bride of Christ. And the church is worth serving. In fact, well, actually, let's just jump to that. That's our next point. The next point is the church is worth suffering to serve. It's worth suffering to serve. The Apostle Paul writes this in, in this last verse. Actually, I'm going to come back to 12 because that's 
We, we can't go past 12, but, but I'm going to go to 13 first. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. What's he suffering? Well, he started off in verse 1 saying, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Paul's in prison. He's been in prison at this point for about three years. Why is he in prison? Because the Jews believed that he had brought a Gentile, Trophimus, of the Ephesians, an Ephesian, right? He's writing, and they're probably very aware of this story. Uh, he had brought Trophimus, and he, a Gentile, from Ephesus with him to Jerusalem to meet the church. Then Paul went into the temple, into the courtyard of the Jews, and they assume Trophimus must have been with him, and this, this mob forms, and they're trying to kill Paul. And the Romans actually rescue Paul from the mob, and Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen, and I appeal to Caesar, which means they have to give him an audience with Caesar. And so for three years, he's just kind of, he's in prison waiting for his, you know, day in court. And, and so he is in prison precisely because he has been uh, uh, preaching this gospel that the Jew of uh, the Gentiles can become full members of the people of God through faith in Jesus and not through having to get physically circumcised and eat kosher and, and wear Jewish clothing, right? It's precisely this gospel of, of uh, reconciliation through faith in Christ alone that's got him in prison. But he says, I ask you not to lose heart. So Paul is clearly saying, I haven't lost heart, and I don't want you to lose heart by the fact that I'm in, in prison. Why? Because he values the church. He believes that the church is so significant that it is worth suffering for, and he actually takes, he rejoices in his sufferings. Did he want to be did he want to be in prison? I can't imagine he wanted to be in prison, of course not. But he says that he's saying the church is so important that me being in prison on, on behalf of the church, it's worth it. And he actually says it which is your glory. Um, my imprisonment is underscoring just how significant you Gentiles are to God. That's what he's saying. The church is absolutely worth serving, and in fact, it's worth suffering to serve. It's worth suffering to serve. Uh, Christ suffered on our behalf, and He calls us to suffer on behalf of other people. For the gospel to go out into a broken world, the people of God have got to be willing to suffer. Uh, the gospel just doesn't go out easily or or just on its own. It goes out by Christian people saying, I'm going to take the gospel to those who are hurting, and, and that takes effort, right? Um, and it takes people willing to scrape buildings, and, and last night, last night, by the way, we had, uh, I wasn't here, we had others who were doing the barbecue for Set Free Church, but Josh Seely texted me last night and said, Two more people prayed to receive Christ last night at Set Free. I'm loving this. And you know what? That wasn't happening in February. It started in March because the people of God started acting, right? Josh Seely gets a vision and other people begin to join him. And our church says, hey, use our facility and we'll provide a meal. And, and, uh, and people have been out 
flipping burgers and handing burgers and saying, Jesus loves you, and how can I pray for you? And, and, and uh, there's this husband and wife who are up here almost every Saturday singing their hearts out. And, you know, it starts off with one person or two people. And you just start, la- you start serving. You start even, you know, there's some suffering involved. I frankly have gotten, a, you know, Every, almost every Saturday afternoon, which is part of my weekend, has been taken up since March. I think I've had three weeks off. So I'm ready to have some of you guys come and help do this. But, um, but it's worth it because the church is significant. It is super significant, and it's worth suffering for. The local church matters to God. It needs to matter to us. It's, and this is not, we're not doing Boys and Girls Club, God Bless Boys, or Kiwanis, God Bless Kiwanis. This isn't the Rotary Club, you know. These are, good, these are good organizations. They display the wisdom of man. The church is what Christ is building. The church displays the wisdom of God. It's what's eternal. That's what we need, and we need to just keep that, keep reminding ourselves of that. I mean, one of the things I tell myself as a pastor more than anything else, and James can attest to this, any staff member, because I say it out loud a lot, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap a harvest if you don't give up. Why do we have to say ourselves to that to ourselves? Because we can get weary of well-doing, right? But what harvest are gonna, we going to reap? We're going to reap harvest of souls, and we're going to reap the harvest of well-done, good, and faithful servants right? So, we have, to, we have to constantly reprioritize in light of scriptural truth. The church matters to God. It should matter to us. So, in your little, if you have your bulletins, if you got one of these bulletins, I don't think I have it on screen, but I have an affirmation. And uh, here at the, end of the me- at the end of the notes. Otherwise, you can just say it after me. But I'll read it, and then I'll ask you to say it Uh, back with me in chunks by faith. The church, here's the, I'm going to say it first. The church is the only institution that will continue beyond this life. It matters to God, so it should matter to me. I will help build Christ's church with my time, energy, and money. Okay, let's say that one sentence at a time. The church is the only institution that will continue beyond this life. It matters to God, so it should matter to me. I will help build Christ's church with my time, energy, and money. Let's pray. Lord, you are building your church. You are the shepherd. You are the head of the church. We are privileged, like the Apostle Paul, it is a grace, an undeserved favor that has been granted to us to be on ministry with you, to be under shepherds in your, in, in your church, to be the hands and feet of Christ in this world, to be doing eternally significant stuff. You have favored us with the opportunity to do eternal, uh, eternally significant stuff. Lord, that's amazing. We step into it, empowered by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.